Welcome back to the Centered in the City podcast. My name is Wade Brill, and I am so glad you are here. Today's episode, we are doing a double whammy. We get to talk with two different guests around how they practice, again, keyword practice, staying centered as new mothers. I get to talk to my friend Colleen O'Brien and my friend Tana McGallis. I was inspired to do this podcast episode because not only as somebody who's thinking about becoming a mother one day, I'm exploring like how does this get to look in our modern day world? I was having a conversation with some friends who are in their 60s who shared, you know, Wade, like I don't envy you because you have a hard decision if you want to become a parent or not in this day and age. There's so much more freedom that you, meaning me, are giving up than they did back in the day when they were having kids. Having kids closer to home, near families, where there was more social support, where they were working close by, where they were living close to where they grew up, where life was just a little bit smaller. In this modern day age, there's so many different ways to create family. And I wanted to have a few of my friends on the podcast to have this conversation on how they're still maintaining their lives, creating systems, creating structure, and living their passions and dreams while not sacrificing. Now, let me just say this episode is just the beginning of what I think could be a really fruitful conversation. So if you are a new mom or a new parent out there who wants to share your own tips and tricks, head on over to centeredinthecity.com and leave me a voicemail sharing your practices and I will add them in future episodes because I think this is a conversation to continue. My intention with this episode is to start a conversation to offer moments of personal reflection, and to also inspire each other. I know you will enjoy it. So let's settle in and let's get centered. My first guest is Colleen O'Brien, who is an accomplished marketing executive with over a decade of experience leading strategic internal and external communications for companies of all sizes, from Fortune 50 to early stage startups. Currently, Colleen is the Chief Communications Officer and Head of Strategy for venture-backed clothing retail startup Armour. Colleen lives in Seattle, Washington with her eight-month-old son, Bennett, and her husband, Peter. They love walking around the city, cheering on the Seattle storms, and trying new foods together. Colleen, welcome to the Center in the City podcast. Thank you so much for having me today. I'm thrilled to be here. I'd love to hear, what is your current favorite or go-to centering practice, whatever that means to you, when you start to feel maybe off-center. My go-to centering practice right now is walking. This started when I was pregnant and persisted through my parental leave. Walking was a way for me to feel a little bit more human and be out in the world again. And now that I am back at work as a working mom, I will sometimes be at my desk for too long during the day and I'll get this urge that I have a a craving for movement and spending a little bit of time walking and listening to music or listening to a podcast is a way that I reground and like reconnect with myself. I am such a huge fan and the gift of walking too. So I hear you in that practice. What are signs or signals that are happening inside of your body that you're paying attention to that's like, oh yeah, I need to take myself out on a walk? I feel like tingly in my legs. I feel distracted from what I'm doing. Like my attention span feels really short. I'm not making progress on the things that matter. I'm just, I'm really aware that I'm not putting the right level of effort into things and I need to reset. I feel uncomfortable in my body, like I have to shake a few things out. Those are all the indicators to me that it's time for movement and any other attempts right now 
are in vain. Like <laughs> it's going to take me too long to do the things that are in front of me until I get this moment of recentering in. Amazing that you can just like pay attention to those signs and signals and then give yourself what you need. It sounds like you then can return back to work or whatever you're focusing on feeling more present. Absolutely. I had a really great role model in this in this practice for me this week. Uh, the chief marketing officer of the company that I work for, Armoire, we had a one-on-one -on, -one on the books and she said, hey, is it okay if I am off video for our conversation? I just realized that I need some movement right now and it would be great to couple these two things that I have to do. And it was a reminder for me that, you know, this isn't something that I have to combat. It's something that um, other people around me are also craving and we can make space for that to happen. Uh, yes, I love a good walk and talk as like, as you know, like walk and talks are just this way, yeah, that we can bridge, we can multitask in a, in a mindful way, in a way where we're not distracted. Yes, we're doing two things at once, but also in a way where we can feel a little bit more embodied. How are you practicing, practicing being a keyword here, practicing being centered as a new mom, as a mom of an eight month old? And I'd love to hear, like, what are some of the things, systems that you have developed that have supported you staying centered throughout the season of life? One of my centering techniques as a new mom is taking notes, like using my phone and notes app pretty aggressively. Um, so I will be consulting my notes throughout this conversation. Um, and the reason that that has become an incredibly valuable system for me is that I realize when I am taking care of my son, my brain sort of like turns to mush. I can't be thinking about, I can't, I'm not a great conversationalist when I'm watching him because I'm so focused and engaged in the moment. So I've come to rely on my note-taking apps to be my second brain. Um, so that if there are things that I need to do or topics of conversation that I want to cover with my husband when we both get home from work at the end of the day, um, I have a reference and an agenda to check through. So um, that is one thing that I'll share that was not really a big practice before we became parents is that I will text my husband an agenda for things that I wanna to talk to him about at the end of the day, whether it is things that happened at work that he might be interested in knowing, whether it is news items that I encountered during the day, whether it was like a great sandwich that I had for lunch that he needs to experience at some point in the not too distant future. Those things I realized were just like falling out of my head when I would get home and like start crawling around with Bennett and in order to like keep our relationship fruitful and engaging and optimistic and exciting, like I needed to, to take time to like jot down those notes and make sure that we were having the great conversations that we had always had, um, even though there was a third party in our like happy hour <laughs> conversations at this point. Um, so becoming a more aggressive and intentional note taker is the first step for me. I am so curious about this because I've heard mommy brain. I think that's what I've heard the term called like is real. And I'm sure there's daddy brain <clears throat> or parent, parent brain, right? That happens, caretaker brain. I know from just spending some consecutive days with my nieces who are you know, two and a half and three months, like, yeah, it just is draining. Like it just, your priorities, your attention just totally shift. And so I love that technique of relying on notes. And I'm curious, like, how does your husband respond to the agenda that, that you sent him? Does it overwhelm him? Does he send you one back? Does he like respond with an emoji? So he really appreciates the agenda. I think he when we get to the end of the day, we sort of like fall into our roles. 
he becomes this like domestic god cleaning the kitchen making dinner and he has a little bit more he has a little bit more uh brain space to be in control of the conversation to keep things going but but that's a lot of pressure so getting an agenda and like here are all of the fun things that we can talk about i think he's really receptive to it and excited like he wants to hear about my day as well and the things that I found interesting so he sort of like ticks through that agenda with a lot of excitement and energy it doesn't it's not like a a to-do list or um here are the things that we must talk about it is sort of like here are the delightful things that I can't wait to like catch you up on or the things that I like make I want to make sure that we cover but there is an energy of um of enjoyment and excitement versus um I think maybe the like loadedness of an agenda okay I appreciate hearing that because sometimes I notice like with my husband and we don't have kids yet the permission to just even like being conscious of the channels in which we're sending things like if there was a funny video on social media or a text message or is it a google calendar invite or is it an email just even being in intentional about those ways that we're sharing information or sharing messages or like we communicate through whatsapp differently than we communicate through normal text and it's just funny and important i think to have that clarity around those communication channels and how it then is received or the boundaries in which communication is received i think that that is super fair we are a calendaring type of family we put school reminders and and healthcare doctor's appointment reminders on calendars um when i call peter he knows that it's super important and that he has to pick up right away and He's interrupted a one-on-one -on -one with his manager to do that. I think for us, texting throughout the day is less of a serious channel. And that's where we like have some permission to be annoying and delightful. <laughs> Amazing. Okay, so tell us about your other mommy, mommy hacks that you are practicing these days. So... An activity that we learned about from other new parents is what we've started thinking about as like three, the three hours of free time. Our friends have a son who is about two months older than Bennett and that like near term familiarity uh, has us looking to them for tips and tricks pretty often. They both value their free time and alone time and shared with us that on the weekend, when they don't have childcare, it's really just the two of them who are tag teaming throughout the days. And they've given each other permission to just leave the situation for three hours. And they can choose to do whatever they want with those three hours. And this was pretty appealing, like three hours to do whatever you want, to feel like you're yourself again is a a practice that we've adopted as well. Sometimes I use that time to get a massage, to catch up with friends, to go for a long walk, but just knowing that it is a just this like little gem that exists at the end of a week is something that like is exciting and reminds me of my independence and my own humanness versus this like constant needing to be uh, just this one role of parent. So that magic three hours is like a gift that we give to each other every weekend. And is that three hours on Saturday, three hours on Sunday, or one person gets the Saturday spot, one person gets the Sunday spot? Right now, we are doing three hours total for the weekend. So one person can have Saturday, one person can have Sunday. Maybe it's Saturday morning, maybe it's Saturday afternoon. But in catching up with these friends, they are sort of doing, they're like pushing the boundaries. They're like, what if this happened every day? <laughs> so we're looking to them to figure out like, once we get really good at juggling this three hours, how do we carve out additional space? Can we be working out every day or like moving our bodies every day and like give each other that gift? Um, we're 
we're in the initial phase of just three hours, but I see us expanding as we like get better at this. Yeah, I have also seen some new parents with with babies under one or maybe even having juggling multiple kids, but like give each other that hour or like you take that hour now and I'll get an hour later. And not that it's like tip for tat, but that's just like, I see you need a break, go, go take your run outside or Mm -hmm. go get your manicure or go for a walk with a friend or whatever it might be. But there's that permission of, I see your at capacity and you need a break to recenter. Yeah. Yeah. We, we've had to like call on that a couple of times, not outside of the context of these magic three hours on the weekend when we are not feeling a hundred percent, when one of us is sick, when one of us has more work that we didn't get to throughout the day and building that muscle to know like, okay, I'm ready to be a solo parent for a couple of hours and can give you this space that it feels like a huge achievement to get there and to be able to, to flex and like provide that space for your partner. So I, I know that it is a muscle we will like continue to grow over time as well. So maybe like one of us is sleeping in on the weekend at some point. Amazing. I love it. That I love also I hear like the permission in your voice and in your partnership of like growth, you know, that you are working on this and you see the possibility of expanding these different systems and structures and also where you get to start. And just starting with the weekend right now is a great practice. And it sounds like a light at the end of the tunnel that it gives you for the week. Yeah, well, and I think to expand on that, I'm not sure that we're of the belief that it gets easier over time. Like maybe, maybe um, there are phases, ages and stages of being a parent that feel a little bit easier, but I'm sort of of the conviction that we just get better. We get better at managing the stress. We get better at managing the activities. So I'm really, I am very committed to this approach of it is a muscle we are building versus this kid just gets easier over time. (laughs) You know, another, I just want to acknowledge you there because that is taking some personal responsibility. You know, you're not blaming it on like the terrible twos or like the diaper stage or, you know, whatever (laughs) I hear happens but that you're just recognizing this is a parenting muscle that you get to continue strengthen. And and each stage is going to be different. Yeah. I sit back sometimes because I realize like maybe like at month two, if he was a little bit whiny and we were out at, I don't know, a, a brewery or out at a restaurant with friends, I would have been seized by stress and thought like, I have to get out of here immediately. But a few months later, I feel like, okay, I have some tools to figure out if we can manage this situation and like continue on here. I don't have quite the same like fight or flight reaction that I did initially. And that feels like a marker of growth, of maturity, of like getting a little bit better at this over time. Okay. So tell us about that because I do see friends and new parents like get very flustered and overwhelmed rightfully so for whatever the multiple internal external reasons happening how have you worked on managing the stress of when when Bennett is having a moment whatever might be happening for him a how do I want to say this I think like a a truth that we have sort of agreed to in our family relationship is that Bennett might be a new kid every day. (laughs) Like progress is not linear. If he sleeps super well tonight, he might not sleep super well tomorrow. And the other side of that coin is he might be having a really hard day today developmentally, and he's a lot fussier than he would be tomorrow like might be a different day so 
putting less stock in this notion of linear progress has been important to us. Every day is a new day. He might be a new kid today than he was yesterday. That feels a little bit freeing to us <laughs> that there isn't as much like tied up in this one moment where he's he might be having a meltdown <laughs> um, because it it might be fleeting. It might be transient. It might just be a short phase and tomorrow might look a little bit different. That is one way that I think we've been able to like release a little bit of stress is that the per it's not, not everything is permanent. <laughs> Most things in life aren't permanent. <laughs> so that sounds, you know, it's like when we can just rest back into that, like, oh yeah, this phase is going to change or this too will change even the pleasant things that we want to hold on to. Yeah, that is a great call out. It has been hard to come to terms with the fact that when he ha has been a really great sleeper for several months, that like also that might not be a forever thing. <laughs> um, so there are two sides to every coin. And I will, I can, I think the only thing that I can honestly say is as we have had more experiences being out in the world with him having a tough time or being hungry and us not being totally equipped to manage all of his needs in the moment, um, just having more of those experiences have like built up our muscle for knowing how to deal with them. I, I like, I don't actually know if it's more than that. I think it's just just like having the experiences to lean on versus any other like mindset shifts that we've been able to to get to. One of the things in our off podcast conversations we had was this hack you and your husband created around getting Bennett dressed. Will you share that with listeners? Because I love that around the onesies. And I think that is really helpful for some families. Yeah, this, I know that this tip might not be for everyone because I know that a lot of, many people take a lot of joy in like getting their child dressed and making sure they have an adorable outfit every day. And I also know that like people love to gift clothing. There might be parts of your baby's wardrobe that feel very sentimental or important, but both my husband and I are incredibly efficient people and realized that Bennett's clothing was a place to optimize. Um, we have friends that were part of a newborn parents group, PEPS, the Program for Early Parenthood Support, is a great nonprofit here in Seattle. And in one of our conversations, they mentioned that when nighttime came, they had a rule in their family that they don't mess with snaps at night. Um, it's just like a little too fumbly. It takes too much time. You just really want to like focus on getting that kiddo back to bed. And it made me realize that we also have a rule of thumb that was, we never mess with snaps. <laughs> we only ever use the easiest things to get on and get off this baby. Um, for the most part, those have been zipper onesies or magnetic onesies. And it has meant that maybe he's not always the most fashionable baby at daycare, but it has just made our lives so much easier. He has a uniform. He only wears the same thing in several different adorable patterns throughout the week. And it has just lifted this, uh, it, it has lifted stress. It has made it super easy to like get him ready for the day every day. So that is an area where we feel a lot of ease because there's only one thing to do every day. Yeah. And when you shared this, and then when I was just with my nieces this past week, I had this like realization of like, oh yeah, like when you're having to like put on a new onesie and figure out like, how does this onesie work versus another onesie? I can see it taking just a lot of time and energy that you might not have in moments or might not want to spend in moments. Where else do you and Peter where do you see your efficiency lens coming into play as new parents? We have gotten super efficient around some of our rules and responsibilities. 
So I shared in the evening when we come home from work, when we pick up Bennett at daycare, I go into baby engagement mode, changing him, feeding him, getting those solids in, and Peter goes into domestic mode, cleaning the kitchen, making dinner, making sure we're ready with his bottles for the next day. But this also shows up in different parts of our world as well. We learned early on, especially having a newborn, that there's a lot of engagement with the healthcare system as you schedule all of these milestone appointments. Uh, We also learned that from a daycare perspective, there's a lot of information management to do. So we split those swim lanes and Peter takes responsibility for all of Bennett's healthcare needs. I've taken responsibility for all of his school needs and we've signed our emails up to those specific swim lanes. So when it comes to scheduling doctor's appointments, following up with um, any medical need, medicine or anything that Bennett needs, Peter's in charge and I don't pay attention to those things. Whereas I'm on task for all of his teacher engagement, keeping them up to speed, making sure he has what he needs for daycare every day. And then do you CC each other on anything or have weekly touch bases or it's just like completely out of out of the mind? It is largely out of the mind. Of course, those invites show up on calendars. Maybe it'll show up on our agenda for something to cover at the end of the day. But there's just a lot of trust there. Like, I know that Peter will manage this part of Bennett's life. He will, like, let me know if anything is super important and we need to have a conversation about. But otherwise, like, he's a totally capable parent, as am I. And, like, we need to trust each other to get all of this stuff done. Ah, I love hearing these, like, creative ways. Where as a new parent, have you allowed yourselves to receive help from the outside? This has been a big topic of conversation for us because we are raising Bennett in Seattle, um, very far away from family. So Peter's family is between Philadelphia, Chicago, and Florida. My family is in the greater Boston area. So they're all really far away. There's no like easy way to drop off Bennett with family when we need a couple of hours. And that has required us to get super intentional about building community and specifically about like finding babysitters. And that is a place where we have started to accept more help um, is focusing on getting some fun time together and with friends um, outside of the context of those like magic three hours. When we want to spend time together, we like need to make sure we have a babysitter. We, yeah, we just like don't have that support system built in with family nearby. So we're getting, we're getting better at like building our babysitter bench right now, but I have some personal challenges. I want to like do some surprise dates in the next couple of weeks to remind Peter that like not only are we parents, but like we are in this loving marriage as well. And we need to prioritize that. I want to hashtag that babysitter bench because it's true. You need like your Rolodex of support for the various reasons when, you know, that favorite go-to isn't available. And to your point of like, keep prioritizing your relationship and to also support you feeling your individualistic self. And it's hard in this day and age, again, not as a parent, even just like watching siblings to raise families without the community, you know, like we can't do it alone. And I really think we get to continually remind ourselves, like I'm reminding myself of that as I'm even thinking about motherhood in the future, because I think we can just get into this very individualistic society mentality. And that's not how it's done, you know? And I think back to my childhood and how amazing it was to be around different babysitters, to be around different supports of help, like how it helped me be resilient to learn how to connect and communicate with new people than just my primary caregivers. 
I love that reminder to, to get the babysitter bench up and running. You have to have a strong babysitter bench. Um, and you're right that like community is so critical. We, as we look across our group of friends, we had a few friends who are parents, but have been super intentional about finding more parent friends since having Bennett, because advice from your community, recommendations from your community feel more, they feel like truer and more vetted and um, like they have your value system in mind <laughs> in a way that reading top 10 things to think about for your newborn, like a list on the internet, just doesn't have all of those nuances. So community building and managing has been really important to us, especially over the past eight months. Yeah, that reminds me of a book I just read, How We Show Up by Mia Birdsong. It was really beautiful. It's a really beautiful book around just rethinking what family means, what community means, and how to be creative and intentional with building family and community because we need each other. And she shares this, this tip that I think is really helpful to think about like who your family pods are, you know, and hopefully everybody has kids maybe around the same age ish and they rotate like a Saturday or Sunday morning, which family is watching all of the kids. And so that gives a few parents the, to have like a, the ability to have like a date day. And then they know that the next weekend they're on duty. And then that gives like these kids a built-in play date, you know, and they're building this relationship with the family and they're growing. And, and I thought like how amazing to kind of lean on each other, especially when babysitters can add up in prices and maybe cause a strain of, oh, do we really need to invest and spend that money to then also spend money to go out on out to dinner and whatever you know other conversations happen so i always think that's a really helpful way to just think about community but it takes intentional effort to build those relationships hmm. yeah i will never forget how supported i felt when i was sharing with a few other new moms that we were planning to go to a wedding and our babysitter had to cancel last minute due to some side effects of a surgery, like a totally warranted reason to not be able to babysit. But I shared like sort of urgently, does anyone have anyone on their respective babysitter benches that, that you would recommend we could reach out to last minute? And of course they showed up, they said, here are all of the names of the folks who we've um, hired in the past. They're all great. But then one of these individuals a friend of ours also said like, and Colleen, if you can't find anyone, like I will be there. And the amount of like, oh, that is so nice to hear. I'm like tearing up thinking about it. Yeah. Yeah. It, to feel supported in that moment was so nice. Yeah. To know you're not alone. Friends or community will step in or has, has your back. I can imagine, especially being in such a vulnerable position when your job as a parent, right, is to help this other person live and survive that can't <laughs> fend for themselves yet. So yeah, just to like feel that sense of, of being held. Yes, absolutely. Obviously, there are much more tenured parents than Peter and I out there. And we are like really still figuring it out. When we put Bennett to bed last night like we are still tiptoeing around the house <laughs> because waking him when he goes to bed like feels so consequential and I realized that last night that like this is like something that we will continue to get better at and like test the boundaries of but right now like I'm still okay tiptoeing around the house <laughs> um so I, I guess the, the moral of the story there is even when things like feel like we have optimized them or systematized them, like there are still a lot of things that we are not getting right right now. <laughs> yeah. And I think just even emphasizing like 
there's probably no right. You know, I think it goes back to what you said earlier around like sharing with your community and learning from your community about what works or what doesn't work, how that has been so much more beneficial than reading something off of the internet. It's like having these kinds of conversations, again, for me, not even being a parent just helps open my eyes to the various modelings and the various ways that we get to practice entering this like time of life, being a parent that nobody can really prepare you for. Even though we were all parented by somebody or had a caregiver of some sorts, it's all gonna be new, all gonna be different. And to just give ourselves, and I say ourselves because I'm like pretending like I'm gonna be a parent soon, um, but just you know to like open up, how does this journey get to look? And how can we be inspired by each other? That visualization is important because Peter and I both agreed that reading baby books and getting ready for this felt like reading books about marathons to prepare for a marathon. <laughs> you know, getting a little bit past the transactional relationship to the information and doing some visualization or spending time with friends or family who are in these situations, I think are great ways of going past words on a page. Mm, I love it. Well, thank you, Colleen, for being here and sharing your wisdom and insights as a new parent. I think it's so helpful to share it while you're in it, not in a year from now. And you're like, yeah, what did work when I was in it, right? Because I'm sure there's some PTSD that gets blocked out. Uh, where can people learn more about you or stay connected if they have additional questions? The best place to connect with me is on LinkedIn. And if you connect there, like feel free to reference this podcast in your message. To your point, Wade, there are many products that I've been reviewing as a new parent along the way so that I don't forget and I'm happy to share that link of my experience and the products that I've been loving um, with any folks who are interested. Amazing. If you're open to it, I can add that to the show notes. Sounds great. I welcome you to pause here and just let whatever information settle into your system. Maybe check out the resource list that Colleen shares in the show notes or take a few moments to jot down some notes, some takeaways, some insights around systems that you maybe wanna try or experiment with or shift or double down on or let go of that maybe came up for you in listening to this. My next guest is Tana McGallis, who I know from years and years ago studying abroad in Buenos Aires, Argentina. And I love watching Tana on social media share her passion for travel and food and decadence. And it just makes my heart expand because I see her continuing to do the things that lights her up even as she becomes a mom and has a one-year-old. Personally, as somebody who loves travel, there's this conversation I hear from people of, oh, you better get it out of your system before you have kids because once you have kids, you're not going to be able to travel as much. And that like slowly kind of kills my inner soul. And so Tana for me was this expander of seeing somebody doing it. And I there are a lot of people out there doing it. But she was somebody that caught my eye and I wanted to have her on the podcast to just hear about her experience of Instagram versus reality and just have the inside scoop on what it's like. So a little bit about Tana. She is from Southern California and is a wife and a mother of one and lives in NYC. She works as an asset manager, but her passion is food and travel. Tana, welcome to the Centered in the City podcast. Thank you for having me. I am so excited to be here. Let's jump in. What is a practice that you do right now in your life? as a mom, a mom of a one-year-old that supports you staying centered, whatever centered means to you? It's a great question. 
I probably don't do it enough. For me, it is taking a step away, whether that is exiting a room and just having a wall be a, a separation, or whether that is me going on a walk, if it's me going to the gym. I think it's just finding space for myself to calm down, take a few deep breaths, separate myself, and then be able to come back in, whether that's him you know, having a temper tantrum, um, just frustration around changing a diaper, whatever it may be. I think it's just being able to kind of acknowledge, like, I need to break away from this in order to come back and, you know, be a better mom. Yeah. Taking that pause, that sense of like, create some space and then come back with maybe a little bit more of a fresh reset. A little bit more patience, um, whether that's toward Julian or unfortunately toward my husband, um, whatever sure. it is, just to make sure that I'm being the best version of myself possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I don't have kids yet and that's something I'm always practicing in relationship <laughs> too. So thank you for naming that. What inspired you to want to become a mom? That's a really good question. Um, And I think that's going to be harder for me to answer in that I think there are some women who are very maternal by nature. And, you know, from a young age, they know maybe they come from a bigger family, maybe they are only children. And as a result, they want a big family, whatever their upbringing may have been. I think for some women, it was very easy to identify, I just want to be a mom, like no matter what, like that, I know I want multiple children. And and that is my purpose. I can't say that I ever felt that way, honestly. I think deep down, I always knew that I was going to be a mother, um, but I certainly took my time. Career is very important to me. I tend to be selfish in other ways. Travel is a great example of that. I love I love the life that my husband and I had without children, not to say they don't love it more with, it's just different. My husband, I would say, is one of those people who from an early age just knew he wanted children and he's a great father. So I think for him, it came a lot more easily, Um, but I think it was kind of meshing my life with his and us creating this life we have together where um, he was probably pushing for it more. And I think once I got to that point in my career, it never feels like the right time, but it felt like an okay time. Um, So I think I had comfort in my professional life, a lot of comfort in my personal life with my husband. Um, We were married about four years at the point. We'd been together for seven um, when we finally did decide to, to start trying. So I think it was just a culmination of feeling... I don't want to say ready, but um, acknowledging that this was an exciting part of our journey as a couple to like grow our family. Mm. Yeah. And I don't think there's ever, again, this is what I hear of like, there's ever the perfect or right time. There's just, you know, the intention of if you're wanting and able to grow a family, putting it out there and seeing what happens. Knowing travel is such a love and passion of yours. Like how has that been to practice, like still feeding that in you and in your relationship with your husband? Because I know I think it feeds both of you while becoming a mom and bringing your son along for the journey because I see a lot of people and this is not to shame anybody because everybody makes their own parent choices but I see a lot of people get imprisoned in their house when they have little ones and for can be for whatever their reasons are and so I'm just curious to hear like how did you have the guts, the chutzpah, the energy, the desire to keep that passion and feed that passion for you? So I think two things are important to note. First, I grew up in LA. My parents are still there. My sister and I are in New York City. 
So growing up, we had no family in LA. So we traveled to see family every holiday. Even today, you know, it's just kind of ingrained in who I am that there's always going to be this travel component, right? Like some people can drive to see their entire family. That was never our situation. So I think inevitably in my mind, I already, I already was comfortable and knew that that was going to continue to be my situation with or without Julian. The second part of it is that you mentioned my husband and I love traveling. We, we travel really well together. And I think that was one thing we very much agreed upon was that neither of us wanted to sacrifice or lose that upon having children. So we were both very committed to continuing to travel. And I think the first time we got on a plane with Julian, he was three months old, we were going back to LA for a wedding. And that was different and easy because again, we could ship everything to my parents' house. My parents were there, we had extra hands. Um, and he was so young then on the plane, it actually wasn't nearly as bad as I thought. But I think it was like once we did that first trip and we got it under our belt, we were like, okay, we can do this. And then the next trip we did, we spent about eight months in Cabo during um, COVID. We go there every year. It, we got married there. We have a place there. It, we have a lot of friends there. Again, another really comfortable space. That was the next trip. And again, that one went okay. And so I think after we did it a couple of times, we realized we can keep doing this. And everyone tells you when you have children, like, oh, travel as much as you can, do as much as you can when they're young. And I think as a first time parent, you're so nervous. You're nervous to take them to the restaurant. You're nervous to do all of these things. And then I think you, it, time kind of slips away from you and all of a sudden they are mobile and they are more difficult. And everyone who had done this before us said, you know, take advantage of it. And so we really just ran with that. Um, and so again, I think as we continued to do it, it just became easier and easier. And then again, you kind of tweak little things like, okay, that was really great. Maybe next time we need to shift and, you know, do something else. And so once we did it a few times, and then I think again, I'm probably going off tangent here, but I found that in those trips that we took, I was so present with Julian and my husband in a way that in the city here and our day-to-day -day life, I do work from home some days and that makes it really challenging because I'm never really turned off one way or another. What, like whether it's work is never totally turned off. Um, being a mom is never totally turned off, but at least when we're on these trips, like I am fully 100% a mom. And so I think I started to realize that as well and that some of our best moments in Julian's first year were when we were traveling. And so I wanted to kind of recreate that as much as I could. When you travel, what are some of the favorite things that you are like, I need to have? Because I start to see these families, and again, no judgment here, but I'm just trying to like observe like what is actually necessary to travel with and what is just our kind of North American culture of consumption and comfort. Totally. The one thing, we, I should be a spokesperson for the Duna. Um, <laughs> the Duna is a stroller that breaks down into a car seat. I will say, I have to preface this by saying it is illegal in Canada. So it is a little concerning. I don't know if it's like absolutely the safest option. However, it breaks down into a car seat. So all you have to do is carry that. And it only lasts until they're about 18 months. So it is a shorter window that has, but cause then you can just pick, you don't need it in Ubers, right? Like everywhere you go, that's all you need. And that has been amazing. And again, like we've brought the Duna to Mexico. We brought the Duna to, we've done the, like you were in Lisbon recently. We did the Hills and the cobblestones in Lisbon any day, like every trip we're like, the Duna is going to break, but it's, it's continued on. And that has been our absolute saving grace. That has been the two-in-one that when he outgrows it, I'm really concerned because to your point, we will then need a car seat and a stroller and things will get a little bit more difficult. Other than that, I will say most hotel, like we've never brought a pack and play or a crib. Every hotel, like again, you have to seek out the hotels that offer that to you or an Airbnb that has a crib, you know, so I guess in advance, think of like the bulky things that can already be there. 
So we've never had to pack that. I mean, there's no shortage of diapers. So every, you know, my husband and I used to throw whatever we needed for however long a trip into a little bag. We never checked. We check every trip now. Like that's no longer an option. And again, like each half of our suitcase is just Julian's things, whether it's diapers, change of clothes, breastfeeding until he was 10 months. So at certain points, it was all the bottles, all the pumps. I mean, there's really no easy way to kind of shorthand some of the supplies that you do need. I don't think we ever overpacked where we're like, oh, wow, we didn't need that. But we mostly just packed his clothes. And again, like where you can ship things, little things like detergent or soap for him, little things like that. I think sometimes we shipped in advance. But we just kind of got into this routine where it was, you know, same way you have your toiletries, we have his little toiletry bag, and you make it work. I appreciate even just like calling out the acceptance of like, there's some things like there are no hacks for, like you will have to pack them and just to embrace it. And there, I notice as you're sharing like that minimalism of just grabbing a carry on and going like, yeah, there won't fun. be that anymore. Yeah. <laughs> like just chow, chow to those days. Um, yeah. I'm curious when you are traveling, like how do you accept help from oh. strangers, from other people? It's a great question. So when it's my husband and I, I must say um, we're pretty good. Like again, when we have the stroller, also um, another one I should have mentioned was I mean, we have the art of pop, but like a baby carrier, those can be helpful. Um, even just on the plane, if you're sleeping, at least it has him like staying put somewhere versus him screaming all around. Um, but I would say that when it's the two of us, we really manage well. We, we don't actually have any help almost ever. Um, I traveled alone with Julian for the first time going to LA and it's the little things like breaking down the Juna at security and I just couldn't break it down on my own, but I'm still holding Julian and all my bags. Are, so at that point, I think three people held him. Like I was, and it was, and it was strangers and I should be ashamed to say this, but I really did. Like, I was like, like, I was like, oh, I don't care. Like, yes, please take him. People There's are no shame in that. That's beautiful. Like yeah. that's what we need more of in our culture. And I had, I gave, I handed him to whoever asked and they were so lovely and helpful and it was moments, right? You know, it was a few seconds just while, again, I broke down the stroller or I couldn't get the Juna in the overhead compartment and someone helped me. And so, yeah, there absolutely have been moments where I don't think I've outright asked, but people have offered and I have not told them no. You'll get the side eyes every now and then, but more often than not, people absolutely are willing to help and people really feel like everyone who helped me also was a mother or a father. You know, they, they all have children of their own. They've been in that position at some point. So I am not shy about saying yes or accepting help. I am not a hero. I don't need to be a hero. Well, good. Whether one has a kid or not, like the fact that we, we all need help, we all need assistance from strangers and we're all still connected even if we are strangers so it's beautiful that you notice people reaching out and that you didn't have an ego about it of yes hold my child while i fold this or fold this for me please okay i don't know what your philosophy is as a parent sleep training scheduling or not but i'm curious what does the when you're traveling how do you manage that rhythm Really good question. Even if I think about us as parents today, and he's a year, so he's a little more self-sufficient now versus three months. Like in the beginning, we were so psycho about the schedule. And that first trip to LA, he had a seven to seven schedule. And again, like I have to also preface this by saying like Julian is such a chill, fantastic baby. If he were not who he is, I do think this would have been a lot more challenging for us. And we probably wouldn't have done as much as we have. Um, but he's knockwood pretty easy, all things considered. But we were really strict about the schedule early on. So when we went on that first trip to LA, we maintained seven to seven East Coast time. So we were up, he was going down around four, four thirty, and he was waking up around four AM, as were we. Um 
I mean, sometimes again, it was so bad. We were just so tired. We'd like put him in his baby yarn bouncer and like keep the lights off and just have him sit there for like an hour while we went back to sleep. Um, and when we did that next Cabo trip, we maintained five to five. And so that was all in the like first six months. I will say we started going to Europe and that is a much more favorable time change. So basically he stayed on our schedule. He would stay up until 10 or 11 and then sleep a little later, like until nine or 10. Um, so we loosely keep this in the beginning, really strict as he got a little older. And as we got more comfortable, we loosened it up a little bit. We realized coming home, it was about three to four days of him kind of getting reacclimated. Um, but the three to four days were worth it. And he came right back onto his schedule. Um, so a little looser, but we do generally maintain. And, you know, again, I have an app where I track all of his like naps. Um, and so I, I would like, I'll loosely re like reference that to try to keep him as much on schedule as, as possible. So we're not as strict about it now, but it, it certainly is factored in to what we do. And so will you schedule when you're, for instance, when you're in Portugal, did you schedule your adventuring around his nap times? Yeah. When we're on, I mean, he's either napping in the stroller on a walk, like we'll cover him and he's like sleeping at a restaurant, hopefully, so we can eat undisturbed or on walks or again, like the movement of a car. So we were in Menorca a few weeks ago and pretty much the timing of it would be wake up, have breakfast, hang out, whatever go to our beach, our first beach of the day. And he would nap in those long, like 40 minute car rides pretty much exclusively. So on vacation, the chances of him napping in a crib are basically zero. It's almost always in the stroller, but then at night he's, he sleeps in the crib. Traveling with Julian, does that influence the different cities or places you choose? You think about like, what's more baby friendly or what time zone do we want to be in? Or is it really just like, hey, like we haven't been to this place yet. Of course, your kid is going to come with you. Yeah, it does. Again, I've re my whole mind has reconfigured. So my husband and I did our first trip away from him in May. My friend got married in Tuscany and we did Portofino. And the whole time I was thinking, this is so family friendly. This is perfect for Julian. Like, I can't wait to come back with Julian. And so, yes, I do think, and even when we booked, like another trip we did was to the Soho farmhouse in the Cotswolds outside of London and places like that. We always now, even the hotels we book, there has to be a great restaurant on the property because, you know, the chances are if there's the more we can do on the property, even if we hire like a babysitter if he's on the property and we're on the property, we're just having dinner by ourselves. There's a certain level of comfort that I am okay with it. So it absolutely does shape how and where we go. Cities are pretty easy because we live in New York City. So like Lisbon is not so different than our life here in New York City. Same with London. Paris was a little difficult because they don't have high chairs. Apparently we didn't know that. Now we know we won't go back to Paris with Julian. We'll go without him. You know, some of it you learn, like as you go, other things like, yes, it, like Menorca, I knew there weren't beach clubs. So I thought that that would be less comfortable for Julian, but like we bought our umbrella, we laid out our towels, just like everyone else. And there were so many kids. And again, some of those beaches were just placid water where I, I felt very comfortable. He would literally was on a floaty, just floating. Um, there were also like rock beaches where you like jump off the cliff and those were clearly not the kid-friendly ones that we avoided. So it does factor where we go. Is there any words of wisdom that you would look back and offer yourself traveling with Julian in the beginning or even six months ago? I really don't because we learned from it. And again, it never deterred us. If anything, it only encouraged us to keep on traveling. The only thing I wish is that we had done more of it, honestly. So I think, yeah, I mean, for anyone who's scared about it, I guess we had moments where he freaked out on the airplane and that was not fun, but it was short-lived. And for the most part, again, people understood. Yeah, I think not to worry so much about being so strict with the schedule that like there's an adjustment period, but that 
they can revert back just as quickly. What I hear, at least from friends and, and family members, is that there tends to be, as you said, like there were eyes on you, there tends that to be that sense of parent judgment and guilt that's happening. Any words of wisdom of how to manage that in a way that feels kind? I think I'm still working on that. It's hard. I guess one way to think about it is, and I think it's probably more so just in the way that like my husband and I will interact with each other, you know, like maybe if one of us is super frustrated or having a hard time, like just to be able to kind of step into like, hey, let me take care of this or like, don't worry, it's fine. Maybe we're not the best at that. But I think for those hard moments, like conversely, the other side is how many people come up to us and just say like at the end of every flight like most fight like he was so well behaved or like you know like good for you guys or he's so cute you know like we're met with so much kindness on the other end of it too that I think probably makes up for those hard moments or those feelings of you know in my mind he's screaming as loud as can be and yet like five rows back they can't hear him it's hard to practice being a little kinder to yourself. Like I think on our last trip, I told my husband, I was like, I need one hour a day. You need to take Julian for one hour and I need to just like lay by the pool and have like silence for one hour. So I think there are also ways that you can create those, not boundaries, but you can ask for that. You've earned that right, whether that's with your partner or collectively, again, we didn't do this on the last trip, but we have another trips hired help on certain, you know, because it is a vacation at the end of the day. Like you don't want to come back feeling more exhausted than when you left. And while there can be so many fulfilling moments, that's not to say that it's still not tiring chasing a one-year-old around. And so I think being okay with having that help, however, it, like whatever form it takes. Um, and again, I think we've, we've gotten comfortable with that being that maybe we're on a property where there's a restaurant or a few restaurants and we have someone not so far away, Julian's still very close to us physically. We're just not responsible for him for a couple of hours and to take that space and that time for you and your partner as well. I think that's very fair to recognize. Like when you go on a vacation, I know my brother would say, traveling's not fun if you're dealing with the same things in a different place. Is there a certain service or something you've used to support you with like finding reputable help while traveling? Most hotels will offer a service and I got comfort in that at least it's someone who's vetted through the hotel. They have like all their contact information more often than not. I'm sure they've been used in the past. I probably could do a little more like due diligence to like cross reference, but in my, and also we bring, oh, this is another one. The Nanit is what we use. It's our monitor here at home. It's a camera. It hooks up to the Wi-Fi system. We will travel with the Nanit. We will set it up so it looks at his crib. Um, and so, you know, in the, it, like, we'll use that. Um, even if we have a setup like in Cabo where we have a pool in our backyard, maybe while he's napping, we leave him in, but we're watching him and we're, you know, yes, there's a wall between us, but we're 20 feet away. Um, so that can also give you a little bit more space but also sense of security and I've done that where we have the nanit on in the room with the babysitter so that you know we're not watching it but push comes to shove I have that also so that is another level of security that I feel a lot better about but typically to me if they if the hotel has vetted them and again if we're like on the same property you know what's the difference between that and a babysitter in New York City totally right? and again we've also been sometimes in cities like with friends. So when we were in London, our friends lived there. They have it, it was their nanny's friend. You know, it was a, re a referral. So that, of course, I always feel very comfortable with. So tapping into your network and your resources, is there anything that you make sure, besides like making sure the Airbnb or the hotel has a pack and play, is there anything else you make sure the room is set up for? I mean, like back in the day, before pack and plays, kids were put in like drawers, you know? So it's just like funny to think of like how. Yeah how kind of bougie traveling has gotten with kids and all the things. Is it worth it to spring for a suite if you can, because you want that door or yeah. I know some people prefer 
to actually travel with Airbnbs instead of hotels because kitchen. they have the living room and kitchen to create some space while the kid is sleeping. I've been very pleasantly surprised by some of these hotels, even without asking. In, like, I'll just say, oh, we're traveling with our infant. We need a crib. And we'll get there. And they have a changing table set up. They have totally unnecessary, by the way. You'd never need a changing table. But it's they've provided it. Some even have provided sterilizers for the bottles without me asking. Um, so it certainly has come a long way, I believe. Um, but you know, yeah, I think where we can, and in a way that my husband and I used to be able to get the smallest room, we will sometimes opt for the bigger option. If there's a kitchen that's even better, absolutely not necessary. But again, as I was pumping and breastfeeding, we were washing bottles constantly. It was nice to have a little more space than like the bathroom sink. Again, absolutely not necessary, but nice to have. Um, and I will say when we have gone to Cabo, we're there typically for a longer period of time. And our friends have a service where you can rent whatever you need to the extent that like the Airbnb doesn't offer it. It's a service where they drop it off and they pick it up when you leave. And so when we do that, I would do all the sterilizer, the bottle sterilizer. So again, like not necessary by any means, but nice to have. Um, so yeah, a little bit more space. No one's ever going to complain about that. And then I guess just reaching out to the hotel to see if they do have any of those additional things so that you don't have to pack some of it. Um, but little things that you don't, you have to forget, like bringing a bottle brush, like we've almost forgotten that before. And like that is hard. Like you do need that. And others, again, like I said, some have been so amazing in what they give us. Like they've packed, they've given him all his toilets, all little kid toiletries. So um yeah, I guess just like it never hurts to ask. And you might be surprised, like they may provide more than what you you need. Hmm. Well, thank you for sharing your insights and wisdoms as as mama. And I just celebrate you for keep living into your passion. And obviously it's gonna change and it's gonna be different being a mom and taking, but that you're still keeping that part alive because I know that feeds you so much. It does. And I think we're also setting up Julian to just have that same travel affinity, to be comfortable traveling. And so I think it's a win-win for everyone. Amazing. Well, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much for joining me for this episode of the Center in the City podcast. Take a moment and think of a friend in your life who is a mom or an early parent Maybe it's even a friend who wants to become a parent one day and share this episode with them. One of the things that's becoming very apparent to me as I explore being a parent one day is that the Hollywood version of motherhood, of being pregnant, of giving birth, of raising your children for the first few years is not what it looks like. And that there's just so much grace in this transition phase that I think we get to offer ourselves as new or pending new parents. So let's continue the conversation. Join me on Instagram at OneWade or feel free to head on over to centeredinthecity.com and share with me your favorite takeaways by leaving a voicemail asking a question, or even sharing your own tip or favorite practice. Until next time, stay centered.